a warm-up, the old Oldsmobile wood-paneled station wagon, because it's V'ger, please, a hateful voyage with the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your poor man's Michael McKean, Peter. That is an excellent way to describe the main guest star. It haunted me the entire time. (laughs) It is great. He is not the juggalo clown that we needed. He is the discount version we deserved. And this episode deserved. And what was that episode, Peter? Season five, episode 23 or 24, if you're Netflix, 1159. I mentioned at the close of our last episode that this was a a baffling entry to me uh, when I first watched it. And I have not actually, it was one of the few episodes of Voyager I've just completely avoided rewatching probably for 20 years. And uh, did was it as baffling to you as as a as I had let on? You know, I spent a good chunk of our last episode, which was somewhere to watch over me, uh, ranting about how bad it was. And, you know, I said it might be the worst thing I've seen since Elogium. So I'm going to spare those listening at home a similar for this. But this is back to back fucking terrible episodes. I'm going to tell you right now with you, by the way, like just to cut to the chase. I know last week I was like in defense of uh, someone to watch over me, me because I love my fair lady and it is a direct rip off of that. But this time, (laughs) mind boggling me that you're so into to musical theater like (laughs) what? I was in musical theater, dude. You have to understand. I was in musical theater, too, but I didn't love it. (laughs) <laughs> oh come on man being a straight dude in musical theater when you're in high school is like the fast lane to uh Untrue. getting dates like, I, I, absolutely like they've got no one to, all of the ladies in your new productions they have no one to choose from <laughs> all right man this is a target rich environment this goddamn episode uh i did not sign up for this okay oh whoa. We've got at the helm. <laughs> You're exact. Hold on. No, hold on. Your exasperation. <laughs> like, I did not sign up for this. Like, I signed up to watch Voyager. I understood it would be bad, that there would be space cats trying to poison the ship with cheese. I did not sign up to do whatever this was. <laughs> this is some bullshit. For real. Bran Bragaw, Joe Manowski, teleplay Joe Manowski, directed by David Livingston. I mean, this this is primetime Voyager staff, right? Production crew. Yeah, David Livingston's done a ton of Trek. I think he, I think he directed like some major TNG episodes. Yeah. I know he's done a lot of Voyagers. He's been around the block. And again, Bram Bragg. I mean, that's that's a showrunner involved. This Joe Manowski balls deep in this stuff. I I signed up to watch science fiction, not a fucking episode of Roseanne. Right. <laughs> it's an episode of Ryan's Hope. I told you a long I time ago. This Hope is. What, uh, to remind you in the audience. Kate Mulgrew's first big thing she did was a TV soap opera named Ryan's Hope. It was a big deal at the time. Um, it was uh, a notable f- uh, that she became pregnant as an actress. And so they wrote her pregnancy into the show, which they didn't used to do. Uh, 
It was like the first time that that was accommodated because Ryan's Hope happened to have a female producer that wanted to, you know, expand the ability of actresses, obviously, to continue working like normal people when they're having kids. Uh, And so she was a a, a person as an actor known because of that show. And we have I've said many times as we've done different episodes, particularly like the uh, episodes where it was like her in the holodeck with her bodice ripper and that sort of thing. Like sh- those scenes where she seems to not have to do a bunch of hard sci-fi shit. She's way more comfortable with because it reminds her of what doing Ryan's hope, doing something a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more practical, something she has a lot of experience in. And they took that to the max <laughs> for this one. It is wow. mostly not an episode of star Trek. It, it's, I would even say it's not a star Trek episode or like, how did this thing get greenlit? Was there a a bet in the office as to who could make the worst episode of Voyager this season, if not ever? And and they put the two final contestants head to head, uh, someone to watch over me, and then this goddamn thing. I had actually forgotten what this episode was going to be until I sat down to watch it last night, and it popped up. You know the 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 capsule before uh, Netflix started playing, it. and instantly I was just struck by grief. I'm like, I, I, I don't want to watch this. And as soon as we got into it, I was just like clawing my eyes out, looking at the phone. I'm digging around in the the menus of Roku, seeing if there's a way I could watch this thing at like 1.5 or 2x <laughs> speed. Can I get this suffering over with faster? Seriously, like I almost went downstairs in the basement and watched it on my computer, like. My poor wife made the mistake of laying down on the couch to finally watch an episode of Voyager. And she's like, what, what the fuck? What is with Casey's ability to sit down with you and watch only the most rancid the garbage? Worst. The I worst. Mean, every, every time you talk about her, like, and I finally got Casey to watch the show. And then it was AIDS. And I hated it to, directly into my eyeballs. Like, I'm here to watch people in space flying around. Not some wood paneled station wagon covered in slush and road salt uh getting into car accidents with this is just baffling if this was a short trek i'd say okay well they were going for something different this is a full episode towards the tail end of you know season five like what in the fuck this barely has anyone from the cast other than kate mulgrew in it uh, I think Tuvok has exactly one line in the last scene, as does Bolana. But that's it. The one line in the last scene that is their only appearance. Uh, other than that, everyone else's experience, you know, showing up is is extremely minimal. And the majority of the episode has to do with an exploration of Captain Janeway's backstory. Not that she is herself experiencing, but is simply being information being given to the audience, right? Like that's the frame. The The conceit of the story, the purpose behind it is, you know, what we as, you know, we accept to think is our, our backstory of our, our heritage of our ancestors versus the truth. And over time, there can be drift between what was actually what actually happened versus the truth. And what's more important, what actually happened or the inspiration that you draw from you, you know, what you believe to be true, right? Like that – and that's the, the purpose of the episode. And wait, 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 that wait, hold is on. The, go, go back and, and reassert this, this statement. Let me hear I'm that trying again. to give it – I'm trying to give it the most like uh, 
I guess we'd call the most beneficial interpretation. <laughs> like this is what they wanted to try and do. So you're saying that the that sometimes the impact of events is more important than the truth of the events. Is I mean, yes, obviously. Which flies directly in the face of so many other episodes. I want to jump to a point where they're talking about uh, Janeway drops a line and she says, I'm just wondering uh, th- this is after she's kind of been called to question her ancestors involvement in Mars exploration or something. And uh, Chakotay comes walking in the office and uh, she starts talking about their Cardassian chef and uh, you know, the captain Chakotay and, and all these things that are kind of ch- close to the truth but but really wrong and she says i just wonder how they're going to remember us wrong hundreds of years from now which we got that episode it was fucking awesome it was living witness right correct and the moral of the story of living witness is the facts do matter the details do matter and it's not about what you want the past to have been and 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 how you can feel good about how it's shaped your future Sometimes you have to confront the gritty reality that uh, you were wrong and, and things were radically different. So, I, I, okay, I see what you're saying. And certainly the lessons of these two episodes are very different, but also the purpose of them is different. Like, Living Witness was about how, uh, you know, you, the, those two civilizations had to move beyond their conflict over that past to embrace a future where they weren't permanently divided by it, which, you know, was the purpose of the ending being, oh, we've lost the evidence, but we got to try and find it together and was unclear in a, for a moment if they ever did, but that wasn't, didn't matter at that point, right? What mattered was that they had to try and get both of these races to understand the only way forward was to stop being embittered with each other over things that happened hundreds of years ago. Very like utopian Star Trek type of message. This is talking about like personal motivation. Like Janeway got all this inspiration from this this ancestor that was supposed to be this badass astronaut that was involved with, like you said, with Mars exploration. And it turns out essentially none of that was true. But did it matter that it wasn't true? Because Janeway still accomplished a great deal in her life, wound up a starship captain and all this other stuff. Um, so this the truth of her ancestors uh, accomplishments really that noteworthy or or meaningful um and that that kernel of that idea there's something to that and there's certainly something very star trekky about it but the the vehicle they chose for this was just dumb and not at all star trek like i i feel weird like I hated this, but qualitatively, I don't think that like, uh, you know, the set design for the library was cool. Kate Mulgrew like does a, an able job of being a different character for most of this episode. Um, like it, it's kind of like it's inoffensive. Absolutely I, I, agree. It is not a bad TV show. Yeah. But I'm not here for a shitty Hallmark uh, after school <laughs> special, I'm here for Star Trek, and this is yeah. 110% not Star Trek. Uh, I guess this raises this raises a question. I hate to cut you off, but that is an, a really interesting point, though, 
to where we stand with what we think about this episode. And that is, is an inoffensive episode of not Star Trek worse than the worst episode of Voyager we watched? I would contend it's not. I did not hate this experience the same way I hated watching some of the worst episodes we've had to 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 watch because it was so bafflingly weird um, in its existence and inoffensive in that way that I didn't hate it. Are you saying that this is the worst thing you've seen? You know, I can go back to Q and the gray. I can go back to 37s, even tattoo. And it's like, there's something that comes away as well. Here's a funny little thing I can rib this character on or something, you know, even bad Star Trek, still Star Trek, but this just, it wasn't man. Like if this was anything else on TV, I would have not bothered to watch it. I just said, I'm not interested in a, uh, a, a star crossed transient falling in love with a quaint little bookshop. Like it's just a fucking, it's not for me. And maybe, you know, if this was season one and we had Jerry Taylor in a very different production mindset from from the producers, I would have understood it more. But this coming out of Brand Brow, you know, the guy who's given us some of the best track, the guy who gave us first contact. Right. Like, you know, like what in the fuck? This is. <laughs> Is it the worst episode of Star Trek Voyager? I no, it's not because it's not Star Trek Voyager. It's it's just some other goddamn thing that somehow saw the light of day. And I cannot understand how, you know, the episode opens up with Neelix ambushing Janeway in the hallway and he starts hitting her with like 20 questions about the Great Wall of China. And already I'm rolling my eyes like. What? She looked as annoyed with him in that turbo lift as uh, any mother would have with their kid doing the exact same thing when he was five. You know, like, huh? Good, you channeled some good energy there, Kate. I can, I, I got what you were putting down. It's like the sloppiest segue. Like, hey, now that we're on the topic of ancient Earth culture, let's shoehorn the plot out of the box that should never have been opened, and we're gonna talk about the Millennium Gate, which. Sounds like a ride at Cedar Point or a shopping mall or, you know, the place <laughs> where force. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Heaven's Gate complex where everybody committed mass suicide with their cult activities. And he's like, oh, well, what's Millennium Gate? And I'm sitting there I'm like they, they talk about it with a lot of conviction, too. And I was like, is this something real that I just never heard of before? And I looked it up and saw it's all purely Star Trek bullshit. And. We begin a very long, boring story about Janeway's ancestors. Man, like we were 40%, maybe even 60% through the episode, and I had written barely four lines into this. So let's let's talk about this uh separately. We'll we'll, we'll mention the the sort of in on Voyager elements separate from the actual like flashbacks. Uh, to the past because the flashbacks to the past are actually somewhat relevant to you and I's personal experience for the first and only time uh, when watching Star Trek. And that is the action takes place mostly in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And you and I, being residents of Ohio, have been to the middle of nowhere, Indiana, many times. Mm-hmm. And so we can uh, we can judge the truthiness, as it were, of some of the things that they do here. 
uh, because it, it opens with uh, Janeway's ancestor, uh, Shannon O'Donnell, I believe, driving through what looks like a uh, freezing uh, godless tundra, uh, <laughs> which checkmark true. That is in winter. Uh, that is correct for rural Indiana. Uh, in case yeah, we have a lot of international uh, listeners, they may not know this. Indiana is a flat farmland state. Um, there is essentially no ele- elevation, uh, nothing interesting going on geographically. It is nothing but a vast open plain. It's cornfields uh, in the warm and in the cold. It's just a windswept frostbite uh, hellscape. Is, is yeah, with dairy farms. And, they capture and very well. They capture <laughs> yes. very well. And, this, and I think this is a big part of my turnoff. Like, see, again, seeing her car like. If you're from someplace warm and you don't have snow, they dump salt all over the place to keep this ice from forming on the road. And then the ice mixes with melting snow and it makes this slush and it gets on everywhere. And then it kind of like falls off and it leaves this salty, briny, chalky shit behind on all of the cars. And it's just so fucking depressing. Here we are, September 24th. We're getting ready to start rolling into uh, fall and then winter, and I don't want any part of this life that they're showing me on the screen. So that's like added bonus nails <laughs> on the chalkboard, but very accurate. Like I have, I, so Janeway is supposed to be from Bloomington, Indiana, and this this town is essentially a cutout for Bloomington, Indiana, uh, which is uh, a college town in real life. So it's not quite as like dopey and and old timey as this episode would. Uh, uh, have you think, but getting there does involve driving through windswept, godless uh, <laughs> uh, tundras in winter that like literally the wind can just whip through and you just feel it come down to your bones if you're standing outside. So uh, salt, true, uh, slushy, briny crap everywhere, true, driving an old beater uh, that stays cold, even though it somehow shouldn't be true, Indiana. A uh, terrible place. Uh, true. Lack of minorities. True. A hundred percent true, particularly in Southern Indiana. Like <laughs> probably the, the the most true thing about this episode. I had a hard time trying to place w- when this was going on, because judging by all of the vehicles you see on screen, this looks like it's like late 70s, early 80s. It's got like the real boxy old Chevy Capri uh police cars and like her station wagon and she rear ends some other old hatchback some Chevy thing. Nova looking thing. <laughs> yeah, and like for something that's supposed to be taking place in like the year two thousand, I'm like, I graduated in two thousand. Like we our the cars are nice. I don't know where all this <laughs> where all this Lord. Batman eighty nine <laughs> car extras came from, but this is Well they did the roll it off the lot. They probably had it lift over from Batman 89. I mean, that was a I don't know. That wasn't a Paramount movie, but um, the the actual dates of the episode, according to Memory Alpha, begins on December 27th, 2000 and ends on January 1st, 2001 is when it's supposed to happen. Oh, uh, check. uh, Put it for X for not true. uh, One thing for sure is that they would not put a giant arcology development in the middle of southern Indiana under any circumstance. I can't buy that. That is too sci-fi for me. No the one only would do thing that. I can say is that Indiana has 
great access to interstates. So like logistically speaking, it'd be easy to get building materials and other stuff like that in there. But uh, I'm going to go with you and say that, no, I don't think there'd be any reason why whatever company is behind Millennium Gate would have had their hearts set on this place and fought tooth and nail as hard as they did to stay in there. So you've got uh, Janeway portraying her ancestor and and let me let me derail us here again. A previous god awful episode we watched, which was what's um, oh, when they go back in time. Future's oh, end. OK, yeah, that was that was terrible in an entirely different yet fun way. Like With Sarah Silverman. <laughs> I there there was a whole conversation between Janeway and Chakotay where she's like, I have no idea what my ancestors would have been up to at this point. And and yet she's sitting here treating us to a story about what happened to her great, 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 great grandmother. Like if she much like Amelia Earhart, who I was about was, to mention the same thing. She was such a goddamn fan of only to never mention her a single time after the 37s. Like, OK, she's all about Shannon O'Doyle or whatever. Because O'Doyle rules. (laughs) Was that Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore? I don't remember. Anyways, O'Doyle rules. It was it was a Billy was a Happy Madison production. I don't know. Um, But you know, she's all up her the the butt of like, oh, this lady was the great. She was the best. Okay, well, when you were back in time, you never thought to go. I don't know. Meet this person that you were super in love with. Whatever. Also. Uh, while we're poking holes in the the Billy the con- Madison, by the way, I Billy looked it up. Mad- I couldn't remember either if it was from. Bill- I always get Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore confused as to like what happened in the each. Same goddamn movie, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> fair. It's Adam Sandler making voices and acting the fool, which is great. Sign me up. I actually went back and listened to uh, his old audio records because uh, my wife had never heard his his comedy records, and they hold up. They're great. <laughs> Um, I remember that first one, and it would definitely be hashtag problematic. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the end of the episode, we see that picture of her grandmother like surface, right? And it's somewhere set in like the early 2050s, they say. But like, isn't that when they're supposed to be like nuclear holocaust, World War Three? Q showing the judge floating around with all the mutants out there and there's the drugged up soldiers shooting people like some real continuity issues with this episode. So let, let's talk about that for a second. So the the timeline of uh, the like Star Trek universe has never like been at strong point in terms of like things that happened that ultimately probably became a little um anachronistic because of the flow of actual time uh because i i I recall from uh enterprise actually that the the third world war was supposed to end in 2050 or 2052 or 2053 like around then which is when that picture was supposed to have been taken Mm -hmm. yeah this is supposed to be taken around the same time that nuclear weapons are being are being launched at each other. Um, and as I recall, stop me if I'm wrong. I, I try not to remember much from discovery, 
But the only good episode of Discovery, in my opinion, was the one where they wound up finding those people that took refuge in that church during World War Three. From season two. From yeah, from season two is the Frakes episode was the one obviously that I liked because they just did a lot of debate about like culture and God and shit. You know, I'm a fucking sucker for that. And it was also like the episode that made me really like uh, Pike. And um, those those people were supposed to be from Indiana. I think like rural Indiana, right? So there was a nuclear bomb that was dropped somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Maybe not the same middle of nowhere, Indiana, that, you know, Shannon O'Doyle was living in, apparently. Oh, rules. <laughs> but it's still at the same time, like she's got this idyllic life with her with her kids and grandkids. And then a couple of years later, it's a nuclear holocaust, I guess. I don't to know. To be like, fair, Indiana's a big place and there's a lot of middle of nowhere Indiana to go around. So it's, it's possible. True. It's, there was like six nukes dropped in middle of nowhere Indiana's and, you know, there's just some parts in nowhere indiana that 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 nuke's not going to reach i don't know it's stupid you're right the the timeline's a fucking mess and uh to paint the barbaric past of earth that the federation had to kind of claw itself out of was very important turning point for tng but it's never been respected and as a result it's never been defined like that's the i think that's the bigger problem for episodes like this is that it probably isn't a coherent producer's bible on what the timeline of star trek was supposed to be in like this is the things that happen in the now our past that led to our you know present that's different to our future and because that doesn't exist and also would probably to be too complicated for a layman to under necessarily understand unless they have a lot of deep Trek lore, uh, you get kind of ad hoc stuff like this where clearly they're kind of ignoring that all of those horrific things happened. You know, it's it's in a weird spot because fans like you and me, we know all this because we've seen everything. So we know about the references to it in TNG. I know about the reference to it, references to it in TOS. Uh, we remember everything about first contact, blah, blah, blah. But you know, they're trying to market this show. So people will watch it that aren't necessarily deep, 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 deep truck nerds. As we have lamented many times, uh, oftentimes this makes, has them make a lot of mistakes. Uh, a smaller one and a more forgivable one is this kind of sloppiness with their timelines. But whatever, you well, know, look, they forgot they were writing science fiction for this episode. So I'm not going to fault them too heavily about yeah. <laughs> <Completely> nuclear <laughs> blight. That was uh, the 2050s. So, you know, she shows up in this town. It looks like it's late 70s, early 80s. But in fact, it's the year 2000, the year I graduated high school. Uh, her car breaks down. She rear ends a guy who totally lets her off the hook. Uh, do Midwesterners let each other off the hook on auto accidents? Uh, I would say checkmark true in, the, in that exact circumstance where it's two beaters and <laughs> someone doesn't have insurance and you're like, oh, this is just worth my time. I'm going to keep going. Like yep. that, that that would happen. If I've rear-ended a- people. I've been rear-ended and it's just a, all right, I don't see any real damage here. Peace out, dude. Ice sucks. Yeah, like certainly in any circumstance where the cars are going to be driven to ashes and both parties are aware of that, it's like, "Eh, this is fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
if you like rear-end someone's Lexus, you might be in for it. But, you know, fuck that guy. <laughs> Somehow she ends up going into this bookshop that's covered in uh, anti-Millennium Gate propaganda. And we meet uh, Mr. Janeway. I forget what his name is. Henry. Henry, I don't know what the actor's name is. He seems like a real that guy. But the vibe I get off of him the entire time is, again, we're, we're dealing with a poor man's Michael McKean. Yeah, he, he vibes a similar way, looks a similar way. Obviously, the idea here is he gets together with Shannon, which I, you kind of know in advance since he's the one with the Janeway last name. Mm, I've got and, a theory on that. <laughs> and oh, <laughs> might be the son. Is that what you're suggesting? Evidence would strongly support that because, man, does she get up close and personal with this kid? But that's just we'll sl- that's that. just that Janeway close talking gene, man. Like it's strong in the blood. You just get boobs up well, right up next to somebody. Apparently it's the O'Doyle. Breathe on him. And I'm like, gosh, man, like uh, discount McKean. He's pretty old and she's really up in this kid and she's letting him go on the laptop. And God only knows what porn he's discovering on there. Like <laughs> what makes the joke? <laughs> She's like, what? what's with all this geriatric porn? Are you trying to put the moves on my dad? But I was like, man, what a twist. What a twist if this is like some sort of uh, stepmom situation. and uh... Some Mrs. Robinson shit. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the kid is supposed to be, I'm not kidding here, 15 in this episode. So the Fred, the discount Fred Savage they yes. have playing. Oh, he's a dollar store Fred Savage. He's got on this T-shirt and God, you know, once upon a time, and I think a lot of our listeners will know the Internet wasn't around and it was hard to come by nerd stuff. It was hard to come by little tchotchkes. It's hard to come by cool, nerdy. And I'm, I'm air quoting here. Cool, <laughs> nerdy, like <laughs> D&D stuff. Nerd was not in vogue. And if you wore shirts with Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that, you were going to be given a hard fucking time in school. We we covered all this in the uh, special Patreon Galaxy Quest episode. Yeah. Uh, but you had a very limited amount of merchandise actively floating around out there. And this kid's red dragon shirt that he's wearing that like I knew so many people that had that exact same shirt and they were all the worst neck beards you could possibly imagine. So seeing this kid wearing that god awful thing was a real treat. My my least favorite kind of nerd uh, from my formative years was the specific in a very specific template: uh, baggy jeans, wallet chain, right? Wallet chain was key. Had the baggy t shirt, unkept, long, unwashed hair. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. And always tried to cheat at Magic the Gathering. Hopefully this doesn't cost us any listeners, Joe. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone is like looking deeply into the mirror while while the uh, Incredible Hulk theme plays in the background, <laughs> having some bad memories. Yeah, no, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, so this kid doesn't fit that template, but yeah, he is rocking the the classic Red Dragon fantasy shirt she ends up in this bookstore we find out Janeway's the owner she's just passing through he's like trying to litter flyer bomb the area she's like oh we could use computers 
to get this out to every computer within 100 miles. Like, so we've got some. It's, it's standard 90s computer talk, which is we don't understand computers yet. So we'll make I don't, them magic. <laughs> I don't know who this lady is. I just know she seems to be on the run. Like, ma'am, are you running spam farms? <laughs> yeah. Like, wasn't the guy who ran that big server, uh, that spam farm, like from Florida? Like, how, how good it would have been if, if this is who that person was supposed to be? Um, oh, but. I don't have a computer. Oh, but I do have a computer, which coincidentally, Robert Duncan McNeil brought it up on Delta Flyers that Star Trek technology for Voyager in many ways looks dated, especially compared to the stuff that was actually existing in the real world as they were filming it. And it's because they had to pick up the same design language that Next Gen had established, you know, 12 years ago or whatever prior. Uh, and at that time, computers were huge and crazy, you know, in the, the early 80s by 99 or 2000. Like he's like, you know, you look at Janeway's la- uh, the, the desktop computer she has in her ready room and it's at like real big modular. It's actually bigger than the little black sleek one that Picard used to have in his ready room. And, you know, Robert Neal's like I had an Apple laptop that was like way smaller than that. And it's silly. We had this big stuff and it was interesting to see them actually break out that laptop and really confront that tech mismatch on size and and scope of, of what the props were versus where real technology was. And she's, you know, looking for work because she needs to fix her car and Janeway's already kind of sweet on her. So he says, yes. And we just begin this real hallmark love story right down to it being like during the holiday season got the snow outside you're bonding over a candlelight dinner in front of books of france it's a competition of which character can bring their voice the lowest and it's (laughs) need never be capable with that she's the fucking world champion champion. (laughs) this dude puts in an honest effort i'm just closing my eyes this (laughs) is Um, he has this terrible character trait that he jams as much Greek and Roman classic literature illusion into as much of his dialogue as possible. And it is super cringy and terrible. Uh, I've got no fond feeling for this Janeway guy at all. So it's Shannon O'Donnell, by the way, not O'Doyle. <laughs> So we don't. We got oh, called shit, out. This Doyle week. rules. <laughs> we got we got called out this week. By the way, by one of our fans who uh, noticed uh, the that you once again hypnotized me into continuously <laughs> uh, mispronouncing the 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 Malorn uh, incorrectly. And you mean the uh, Malon? Yeah, the Malon. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I, it's you know it's sorceress powers when it comes to that. I tip my hat to you. I, every time you lull me into doing it, no matter how hard I try to resist it, I go where the truth is, Joe. I, I find it in my heart, and uh, the 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 truth in this episode is it is it's just it's brutal, man. Like I said, I'm watching the clock the whole time this is going on. We'll come to find the face of the Millennium Gate. I, again, I feel like I'm talking about a cult over here. When was Heaven's Gate? Was that pre-2000? Oh, 
It was 1997, so it was a couple years before. That seems like real bad. <laughs> you know, like, why are you invoking feelings of Heaven's Gate with Millennium Gate? That's That was a real poor choice by Brent. In addition to a series of bad choices that is called 1159. We see the, the face the corporate sponsor of Millennium Gate, who is a guy named John Lynch. Uh, I recognize him as Mac McDonald from the Michael Keaton movie, The Founder, which talks about the origin of McDonald's. So every time yeah. this guy's on screen, all I see is someone who's really keen on fast food production. And ordering a bunch of shake machines. Yeah. <laughs> movie is great, by the way. It's on Netflix. Love it. Yeah, it's so just, go, just watch it. It's good. Oh, God. I So I, I had the, the page for Heaven's Gate open. They were huge Star Trek fans, and Nick, Nichelle Nichols' brother uh, died. He was part of Heaven's Gate. Hmm. So this is a dark Trek parallel. Gross. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, so, yeah, like corporate man, corporate, 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 you know, business, business, business. Uh, he wants to to open his Heaven's Gate and, you know, chain <laughs> – Shane Way is is against it because he's traditional because you can tell how much he likes, you know, classical literature. And when I mean classical literature, I mean like Roman, Greco-Roman classical. Like, OK, listen, I understand that not everybody reads every book. But if you have ever read a book written by someone, you know, from the the 19th century on versus anything before that, particularly like classic antiquity like plato's republic or that sort of thing that shit is hard to read because it's being translated from greek right and it's just not doesn't flow like an actual book and anyone who enjoys reading that stuff for pleasure all the time is a sociopath i don't let alone bust it out in his attempts to flirt like yeah like Bro, no. you just you just like terrible things. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not saying something that stuff isn't important to like the canon of Western thought, but it is not like something that's like this is the best thing ever written. No, it's clearly not. <laughs> like, also, they the just whole time... figured out writing, you know, basically, <laughs> then they've improved on it in the last 2000 years. Also, the whole time I'm watching this, all I can think of is that Pauly Shore movie Biodome. Yes. <laughs> Which I have to think, wait, when was Biodome? Like 96, maybe? Oh, contemporary to this, for sure. So, you know, Heaven's Gate, Biodome. This is like a fever dream of nonsense that that got turned into. So the Janeway's like, no, Millennium Gate's just going to be an overglorified shopping mall, which the commercial <laughs> opportunities they're discussing for a closed ecosystem don't really make any sense at all. I will say though, check Mark true that if anything gets built in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, it's probably a shopping mall. True. Checks out. I, I believe it. Yeah. Um, they push forward and we eventually cut back to present day Voyager. This is a unprecedented amount of downtime they're having where the ship is completely safe and nobody is trying to steal their organs or <laughs> yeah. no, there's there's nobody attempting to steal their technology uh make out make out with uh like one someone's liver or kidney you know like just no no one is attempting to turn them all into uh holographic robot slaves in uh resistance france like 
it's it's really like great down they have enough time to chill out in the captain's quarters drinking wine talking about their families Janeway drags seven of nine into her quest to learn more about Shannon because somehow uh, there's lost and damaged data in the ship's library, which seems preposterous. But she puts seven on the job of reconstructing it in the process, encourages her to look into her own family history. And this is what really kind of starts the newest craze on the ship, which is, uh, you know, let me tell you about my family's history, which, as Chakotay has shown us, nobody gives a fuck. The best part of the cutaways back to Voyager is that Janeway's bubble is burst about her ancestor because Tom is a Mary Sue again. Because again. Appar- because apparently he has every person who is involved with all of the Mars missions going from the 1970s through the 21st century memorized by heart. And he's such an authority on the matter that when he says, oh, no, uh, Captain, there was no one ever named by the name Shannon O'Donnell who was ever involved uh, with the Mars missions. That's just fucking fact. That's just like solid, solid gold, like clearly off the cuff from Jesus to to your ears. Yeah, like with the with the amount of confidence, I'm like, yeah, my name absolutely does end with the O. Obviously, you you big dummy. (laughs) He said that shit. And it's funny because there's a line he drops on seven of nine later on. It's like, oh, the Borg. uh, Identic memory photograph. Fuck you, Tom. After he he couldn't remember the facts about (laughs) Fort Knox out of his ass on the spot. I know everything about Fort Knox and Mars missions. uh, Everybody's social security number by heart. But he he doesn't remember the the, uh, lighthouse at Alexandria, like one of the seven classic wonders of the world, which is a piece of trivia that while is not something necessarily like every person can just rattle off off the top of their head is certainly something you would expect someone to know far more readily than every single person involved with every Mars mission from the 1970s through the 21st century, a catalog of information that is probably inescapably vast thousands of names, stupid, ridiculous. Uh, they, they can't find more information, but here comes Neelix to the rescue I I dig Neelix as an epiphany lubricant, right? When he right, yeah, you've mentioned many to, times that's how you like the, how they use him. What what I don't buy is Neelix taking Seven of Nine, the smartest human in the universe, who is also part machine and should know how to run fucking Google searches. And he's like, no, if you need to find information, cast a wider net, computer, search this name in the other databases that you also already have. So they find information on her mom or her grandmother from some fucking Frankie database. It's like the computer. And I get it. Like you said, they're writing TV shows about computers when they don't know how computers really work. So it's pedantic to, to argue, but like you tell me the fucking ship's computer wouldn't be able to, to search databases that are searchable. fucking stupid. They get back in. We see things still developing well between uh, Janeway and Shannon, but she wants to go because she's got the wanderlust, but it's starting to get her hooks in her. Uh, McDonald's makes her an offer like, hey, uh, here's uh, the big reveal twist is that you are almost an astronaut, but you washed out for whatever reason. But we could bring you on for this project as a consulting engineer and kind of get you back on track to your life's dream. 
I'm glazing over the fact that we try to say Canton, Ohio, at least 60 times in this episode. (laughs) This is the most Ohio Star Trek has seen since Deadlock. When uh, Brand Ragall drops Kent in there like Kent University six times. As much as he possibly can justify. Kent. Kent University, the scientific hub of the Midwest. Kent, Kent, Kent State, clearly not the place that you go as a backup school. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio's Kent, backup school, Kent State. Kent State, also known as High School Part 2 for the South Euclid Linhurst School District. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kent State, did you not get into OSU? Uh, well, there's Kent State. <laughs> <laughs> Kent State, keep trying. You'll get to State College in- eventually. Yeah, Kent, um, Kent State, the place you go after community college to show you really stepped it up. So whatever this company is that's producing uh, Millennium Gate, like they've got their heart set on but fuck nowhere, Indiana. But boy, golly, if they can't get it, they'll settle with the second armpit of nowhere, fucking Canton, Ohio, to the point where Canton, Ohio is like having parades and shit trying to woo them in. It's it's so silly that they would put the effort like, again, like you were saying, what is it about this windswept hellhole of uh, nowhere, Indiana, that's making this company want to build there? Also, point of fact to, again, our non-American audience, uh, Canton, Ohio, basically a Cleveland suburb. Right? Yes. yes. I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's not like it's all it's it's not comparable in any way. Cleveland's a real place. It's a real city. It's, it's got a real. Population. I was born there. Biggest city in Ohio, like. What the metro is probably what half the the actual city limits probably half million at least metro is over a million. I mean, like Cuyahoga County is is a populated area, so like mm-hmm. it is the exact opposite of a windswept hellhole as far as well. No, I take that back. <laughs> it is a windswept hellhole. It's just filled with people <laughs> and lake effect snow. Yes. Oh, oh let's not just dis- let's spare the audience a description of that. Yeah. 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 She starts uh, warming up to his son. There's some classic uh, Kate Mulgrew too close for close talk where I think it really becomes viable that the dad might die and her grandmother is going to hook up with this, the younger Janeway's son. Uh, she catches him playing on her laptop. Uh, and and I, you know, there were plenty of jokes about her porn search history <laughs> the matrix of doom <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the euphemism don't get mm-hmm. vaporized son check out um, all the check out all that do you like all that milf porn i've got hmm. <laughs> yeah well that's what i was saying the geriatric porn like you going after my dad what's going on here there's drama as she tries to start convincing him, like, maybe you should think about like it's such an obvious setup to like you could take your crusty bullshit store and move it into the tower like you see exactly where it's going we jump into the future right the the current voyager and you have a very different scene from what you would have seen out of next gen and again i i invoke the name next gen i'm saddled with all of this bullshit that picard has done to like it just takes the wind out of my sails talking about at the end of Next Gen, you see Picard getting on the poker game. It's such a big fucking deal. Wow, he's he's finally connecting with the crew, family, all that other stuff. You flip over to Voyager, and like you just said, like everybody is literally just laying around Janeway's 
uh, cabin like it's an opium den, all sprawled out, drinking wine and uh, and chuckling while they swap stories about their family as uh, the episode beats us over the head with this thin ass plot. Harry Kim drops the story about his uncle Jack. And his uncle Jack was a space dude pre-warp, right? Uh, no, it would have been post-warp, but uh, pre-fast warp. And this is something we've spent a fair amount of time discussing, and that's sleeper ships, where you're using cryo beds to put your crew into suspended animation to get you through long trips so everybody's not dead and old and crusty or you know tired by the time they arrive. And part of the story is like, yeah, so my uncle Jack had to fly the ship for six months. They get to where they're going. And then uh, he finds out that there's no real star there. What's like a sensor misreading and that it's a pointless mission. So he just turns around, flies another six months back. So that's a whole year and then thaws everybody out. And they're all like, hey, why are we still in orbit? And they're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Seven of nines in the fucking room, Joe. And there is no mention whatsoever of the entire episode one, which is where they have to fly through the cloud of radiation and everybody gets put in the bed and the smartest, best, perfect, most efficient human in the world, this half Borg, couldn't even cut it a fucking month before she had like such crazy hallucinations that she almost killed everybody. Like you couldn't put a throwaway line of dialogue like, wow, six months, I could barely cut one. Uncle Jack must have been a real badass. There's a couple situations like this where they're just clear throwbacks to earlier Voyager episodes that were big deal episodes that they just completely sail over their head. And it feels like such a backslide for season five, which has been so self-referential and acknowledging of the Voyager universe for them to just let that stuff sail right over without saying boo about it. Like that would have been that would have been a great moment of an otherwise turd episode for me for her to be like, just something acknowledging past events, how it impacted them, and like a side discussion about growth or whatever. Instead, we got this weird soap opera Palmark episode. Uh, it wraps up with Shannon eventually, like not really convincing uh, old man Janeway. Uh, she's going to get the job anyway. She, you know, she wants, she has this hack eyed, like, Oh, I got a package of cookies, but aha cookies, aha cookies. Aha. Here's something completely unrelated to anything else. And it's going to give me the plan to solve the problem for the plot. And whatever it, it, it ends with them obviously being involved with each other and her convincing him to sell the bookstore so they could build the millennium gate and Janeway has to come to terms with her ancestor, not being a badass and every, all the crew wants to cheer her up over some shit that doesn't matter. And also give the actors not appearing otherwise in this episode, a chance for their <laughs> lines. So they get their, we're, get their checks, you know, we're throwing you a party for founders Eve, but it's only going to be the main cast bridge crew with no extras in this very hokey stale party. There's also a throwaway line in there about Leonardo da Vinci, which made me very uncomfortable as a concerning <laughs> flight clawed its way out of like John Rhys Davies, like his head starts to appear <laughs> in the background. Like, no, no, please. Oh, no, Kimberly, go run. Yeah. Before he breaks a uh, fire extinguisher over our head. 
it's terrible. It's it's like you said, it's it's not bad directed. It's not bad acting. You know, if you're in the mood for a mildly heartwarming tale about a family coming together set around Christmas time, <laughs> you'd probably really enjoy this. If you're looking for anything with the words star and Trek, you're, you're out uh, of fucking luck this week. Stay away. I will tell you right now, Joe, I will never, ever, ever, ever in my whole life watch someone to watch over me or 1159 again ever period i don't know how this was not a more vivid memory in your head uh that you kind of stumbled into this lost along with me but like well no i remembered someone to watch over me like quite well and i like i said i don't i didn't hate it and i never did hate it um and this one I just refused to rewatch it for 20 years. I remember. All, so. I kind of remembered like all of this because it was so like, what the fuck? What am I watching? Like, this isn't Star Trek. And so uh, like rewatching it, I tried to be like really open minded about what I was getting myself back into because I just haven't seen it in forever. But I, I knew this stuff like this was not a mystery to me. I, there's another line in here I want to touch because like that's that's the interest in this episode for me. It's like all the dumb stuff they say and do without thinking about it. Uh, you know, they're like, well, you know, even if your ancestor was not the badass astronaut, you thought she still had an impact on you. And there's a value in that. And Janeway is like, yeah, well, if it wasn't for her, I would have never been around or I would have never gone to Starfleet and I would have never gotten us stuck in the Delta Quadrant. And they're all kind of like, ha ha ha. I, what I wouldn't give for someone just to be perpetually salty about what she does and just stand under the breath. Yeah. Yeah. Or spared the Borg so they could assimilate another billion species. Like, yeah, maybe maybe it would have been never better forget off if you hadn't been inspired to be a fucking astronaut, Janeway. Wow. The whole if galaxy could be in a better lady, place right now. If it wasn't for one lady back in the early 2000s who should have just kept going to Florida, um, all those people wouldn't have board tubes coming out of their faces all those solar systems would still be unconquered and families could be happy like gosh the weight on shannon's shoulders all those deaths what are we watching next week peter it needs to be something better joe i can't i guarantee you it is this next one's really good i mean back to back terrible episodes we're moving into season five episode 24 23 if you're netflix relativity and i see uh Alana and I see seven peeking at some doohickey in the wall. When Voyager is destroyed, Captain Braxton of the 29th century timeship relativity contacts seven of nine to learn who planted the temporal disruptor. Is Braxton Captain Caveman? That is, in fact, Captain Caveman. This is a direct sequel to the episode you have referenced this week, Future's End. Speaking of the devil. And it's actually uh, way more rad <laughs> as far as like getting into time federation, the future time cop federation uh, and then future's end ever was. It's it's this is a good one. I'm, I've rewatched this several times. I am very excited to watch something that has uh, the words Star Trek and rad in the same sentence because we're certainly do. Um the last we saw Captain Braxton 
I believe was as a crazed hobo somewhere in San Francisco. Oh, he showed up at the end. Remember after the timeline was reset? Oh, and right. sent Voyager yeah. back to where they were supposed to be. I wonder if Captain Braxton's going to be looking for his hypertech mobile emitter that they so thoughtfully gifted the EMH. This, this or if that's going to slip through the cracks. This episode has this episode is a deep cut, and I think that's the best kind of Voyager episodes. Like this has this has a lot going on that is very hard sci-fi type of stuff. Let's do a quick count. Oh, so maybe that's why we had the very budget-friendly someone to watch over me. We're going to get to the big budget stuff for uh, relatively. How many times has Voyager been destroyed up to this point? Deadlock, <laughs> timeless. Deadlock and Timeless. Uh, man, hold on. Uh, I guess Course Oblivion, technically. <laughs> like, just, yeah. just this. I, I'd count yeah. it. I'd count it. Sure. Um, um, Year of Hell. Mm-hmm. Were some of the goofy early season one bad time travel ones that Voyager blow up in any of those? Looking back through it here, looking through season three. Because that's, I think we're up to three or four already. Anyways, my my hypothesis is this, is that if Voyager is destroyed, odds are it's a good episode. And I think based on the evidence we have in front of us so far, uh, the hypothesis holds up. I agree with you this time. This is a good one. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you may set your 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 expectations relatively high. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Relativity. <laughs> Got him. No. Mm hmm. All right. Well, thanks to everybody listening to if you somehow got this far. (laughs) 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 Like, I will say this. uh, I had more fun talking about this because it was garbage (laughs) than last week, but not worth not worth the price to get here. I would have gladly thrown this cheeky, fun conversation right in the fucking trash (laughs) if it would have made my experience in front of the TV last night in any way resemble Star Trek. Well, our suffering is your gain. If you're a listener to Vigil, please hate voice for the Delta Quadrant. We appreciate you. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook. Uh, Vigil, please. We're there uh, on Twitter. Uh, Vigil, please. At gmail.com is our email. Uh, and you can always join the Vigil, please trauma support group, which is our fan group. We keep it closed just so that, you know, your grandmother doesn't see your uh, Trek related shit posting. But other than that, we're always happy to bring people in. All you got to do is apply. And uh, so come and shout us, say hey. Uh, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>